my wife was saying to me, Angela, why don't you preach something Christmassy? I'm like, you know, that sounds like a good idea. Maybe we need a break from 1 Corinthians. So I'm going to do, I thought we would change uh, for the month of December, something Christmassy, okay? And I want to look at the Messiah through the Old Testament. I don't think there's anything more Christmassy than the Messiah through the Old Testament. I think uh, we need to take a look at that. So would you pray with me? Father, we pray, we thank you for Christ. We did not deserve what he gave on the cross. But we know this was in your ultimate plan, your sovereign plan from the beginning, to save sinners by the giving of your son. And as he came as a baby and uh, grew, he lived the righteous life that we could not live. And he died that death that we deserved. That all who would have faith would be saved. And so this Christmas season, we know Christ was probably born in the spring. But Father, that what a great time to worship your son. Born of a virgin who put on flesh on our behalf. God, let us never skip over that. Or think we've arrived and not marvel anymore at that, we pray. Would you help us? And even help us as we think about how the baby came to die in communion as we partake of the elements this morning. We thank you for this. Thank you for the visitors. It's always encouraging. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 24? Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I love being able to preach uh, regularly at the same place so we could all grow through the Word of God together. Luke chapter 24. I think sometimes when we think about Christmas, we have this modern American commercial view of it. And when we look at it, we think maybe perhaps it's just some innovation. Some, something started so that uh, we could have Black Friday and have Christmas and have uh, um, where all of the merchants make most of their money throughout the whole year. And I want to stop and pause and let you know that this has always been in God's plan. Not the Black Friday and the clicking on Amazon when you get that email and you better hurry up, right, as the time thing is clicking by. But rather that from the beginning, from the fall of man, God has in his plan decided to send his son for a sinner such as you. And that should never go through us lightly. It should always weigh heavily. And so I want to look at Jesus first. Uh, if you want to follow notes, this is going to be a different kind of sermon. I'm, I usually preach more, more direct. I just kind of want to preach as in this sense just to just glean on Christ just to live and dwell on him. 
I think sometimes we just need to meditate on that. So the title of this sermon, if anyone wants notes, go ahead and raise your hand. Our brother Manny will give it to you. Um, This is Jesus through the Pentateuch. Okay. So the first brother um, over there, JP wants one. Jesus through the Pentateuch. And we're going to go through just the book of Genesis. Uh, This is going to be an overview of some salient points of the Messiah as promised through uh, Genesis. You know, you could preach Christ through Genesis. Absolutely. Look at Luke chapter 24, and I want to look at the basis of where we're at. If you recall, the disciples were depressed. They were coming back. They thought they were defeated, and yet Christ came and he says these things as he shows, up, shows himself to them on the Emmaus Road in Luke chapter 24. And he goes in verse 25. And as he's explaining to them, they're not believing in the Messiah. And he says in 25, Oh, foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things to enter into glory? And so Jesus says... All of the prophets, when they speak of me, they're speaking of my mission, my person. They've been speaking for hundreds of years about me. And then further on, you see he makes other appearances. And I I just want to kind of lean into verse 44. And he says to them, as he's appearing to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, the scriptures, this is the Old Testament, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that the repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. It's amazing. He's proclaiming from the Old Testament all of what he just said. Okay. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father. We know the promise is going to be the Holy Spirit. Why do we look, why are we saying these things? Look at verse 44. He says, these are my words which I spoke to you while I'm still with you in all things which are written. And now he's going to talk about this threefold division of the Old Testament that is typically spoken about by theologians. The law of Moses, prophets, and the Psalms. The law of Moses, the law can be taken in different ways, but here, because it's in a division of the scriptures, he's calling it, this is the Torah, okay? The Torah, what we would call the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then he uses this other division, which is the prophets, which would be Isaiah, the major ones, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, And then the minor ones, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, you can go on. Those, that's the second division. And then the third one would be the wisdom literature, which is the Psalms. That would be Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Solomon, Ruth, Lamentations. What is he saying? Jesus is saying that all the divisions are speaking about me. They are talking about me. I've always been talked about. 
Me coming to this earth to save mankind is not a new story. You just were too busy to read it. And so, with that in mind, I want to, my prayer this morning is that our prayer is that uh, as a church, our church and as the elders, we would pray that this Christmas, this is the whole point, that you would just marvel. Just marvel. That's it. Marvel and worship at the Messiah who was promised to be given to you from the beginning for your sins. Now, there are many foreshadowing types and prophecies of Christ all through Genesis. And here are, some, here are six main themes. And I'm going to try and get through six main themes. First one, admittedly, is going to be really long. But the first six main themes before we have communion. Number one, Jesus at creation. That is from Genesis 1 and 2. Would you go with me to Genesis 1? In Genesis 1, and what we're going to do is to show you that the Bible, unlike critics would say, critics would say they're just a bunch of disjuncted books slapped together. Um, They really are redacted and been changed when God himself, from the beginning has always promised the Redeemer to come for us. I think that's just astounding. It makes everything else look pale in comparison, doesn't it? So here, in Genesis chapter 1, we look here, in chapter 1 he says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface. And here we see in verse 3, Then God said, Let there be light. Then God said, Notice, verse uh, 6, Then God said, Let there be an expanse. Verse 9, Then God said, Let the waters. Verse 11, Then God said, Then God said, Verse 14, then God said, verse 20, then God said, verse 24, then God said, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. What that's supposed to tell you is that as God, he makes and he creates by his divine fiat, simply by saying he brings that, that, that which does not exist into existence. There is none like him. He is the uncaused cause. Everything else in this whole universe has a cause, has a beginning, has an origin. God himself is saying that everything that has ever existed started from me. And it started by my simple word. Amen. Now, what's astounding, and I would love to bank on here, we're going to play a little bit of Bible study. What's astounding is that what we see in Genesis, as Scripture is being revealed and as Scripture is progressing, we get more and more specific, more and more specific, more and more specific, until we get to the New Testament, where finally in Hebrews chapter 1, it says... It says that God, that Jesus is himself the exact representation of God. That he spoke to us in son. 
So here we see these, these, these uh, shadows of what Christ himself has done. Now, I don't, you don't have to take my word for it. We can take a look in the scriptures. So let's, take a, get, let's follow along in 2 Peter chapter 3. Notice he says in 2 pa- Peter chapter 3. And keep your hand on Genesis because we're going to be back there. 2 Peter chapter 3. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd Peter, right? Now watch. Verse 5, he says, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. This is people who are criticizing whether or not God created. He says, That by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. So what the Bible is saying is by the effort of God himself, by simply speaking, he brought forth all that you see here. I think that's amazing. That's an amazing, amazing, astonishing fact. 11, uh, Hebrews eleven three says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which were Visible, But then I think it becomes even more narrow as we look in Colossians chapter 1. Look at Colossians. Now we see in very blatant language in Colossians 1.16. Now he says, he is the image of the invisible God. Let me say verse 15. The firstborn of all creation. Now we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 16, notice he says, For by him, that is Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. They all have their source from Christ. This is what God is saying. They all have their source from Christ, being the word of God himself. And they all have their purpose. It says here, notice, Created through him and for him. Their source is from Christ and their purpose is to Christ. And it's not too much to say. In fact, it's more accurate to say that all that has been created, all of our lives, all that we are ought to be not only worshiping him for creating us, but also worshiping him in fulfilling the purposes by which he has given us in his word. We've been created by him and for him. By the word. But it gets even more, more distinct in John chapter 1. And you guys know the verse I'm going to. I just love to read it. Let's go there. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. He says, Now, this sounds exactly like Genesis. Okay? John is taking... And he's following what Genesis has said about the creation of all things. And this is the weight by which we have to look at this. Who is the one who came? We are saying, Christian doctrine is saying, the Bible is saying, the one who came as 
taking on the form of a baby, putting on flesh to die on the cross, is the same creator God who made everything that exists. Verse 1 of chapter 1 in John. In the beginning, oh, there it is, right? John is specifically using Genesis language. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with the Word, stressing eternality. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being, has come into being. There, in its climax now, he's saying that there's nothing that came into being apart from Christ Himself. Now that seems astounding. But notice he says very clearly in verse 14. Who is this word? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the father. Full of grace and truth. Now John is staying here. And he's camping here. And he's saying the reason why this is so significant. The reason why we we harp on this and the reason why we stay on this is because God came in the flesh and not only just to astound us just to give us uh, a something to worship him by but he came with the express purpose brothers and sisters to rescue you from your sin that's why Christmas is significant Jesus was at creation. There was also, if we go back to Genesis, and we're just doing, how are we going to preach through Genesis? We're just going to do a flyby, okay? I'm not going to preach exegetically every single verse. We're not going to make it, okay? Um, We're just doing a flyby. But here in the book of Genesis, if you go back to chapter 1, what we see are the characteristics of true wholeness in creation. Now, why do we need to know that? Because it's essential. It's essential to know what true wholeness really is. Why? Because we need to know what redemption is. You will not know what redemption is. What are you bringing? What are you coming back to? What are you being bought back into? What is life really supposed to be like? You know it's broken this whole life. You know relationships are broken. You know from just watching the news, this world is broken. And there, there are times we just have pieces and we can't fix it. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 4, after God created in the beginning, notice God said, saw that the light was good. Notice verse 10, he says, God called the dry land earth and the gathering the waters he called seas and God saw that it was good. Verse 12 he pronounces it good. Verse 18 he pronounces it good. Verse 21 he pronounces it good. Verse 25 he pronounces it good. Verse 31 after he makes man notice in verse 31 after he makes man he says God saw all that he had made and behold it was very good and now he adds that uh, very to intensify it. What we see in the picture of, of Genesis chapter 1 are relationships, beautiful, 
whole relationships. God to man. Man to God. Man. Man with woman in a beautiful relationship. Can you imagine a marriage where there's never fighting? Anyone, can you raise their hand? Can anyone raise their hand? I, I, we want to go there. Where, can you imagine a marriage where we completely understand each other? Like, I mean, I've been married 25 years. 25 years. 25 years, right? I still speak dude. My wife still speaks woman. And I'm, I'm becoming fluent in woman. I'm trying to understand woman, right? But there are times like, I didn't get that at all. So clueless, right? But in, when God first created, man and woman understood each other. They were naked and not ashamed. The wholeness between man and fellow man, the wholeness between man and creation, right? What? Every once in a while, I'm not trying to scare visitors, but every once in a while, when you're at the beach, you get bit by a shark. Just every once in a while, okay? Just every once in a while, right? Or stung by a stingray, you know. Every once in a while. But that didn't happen in the beginning of creation. There was harmony, there was peace, there was paradise. There was what the Hebrews would call shalom. Just say shalom with me. It's fun to say. Shalom. Man, that's fun, right? There was structure. There was beauty. There was creativity, pleasure, happiness. Everything was called good because everything was connected to God. See, this tells us what redemption is going to be like. Because redemption is taking that which is broken and Jesus Christ says that my blood and my work on the cross, I will, through that, I will make all things new. That's why he's called, this is why exactly Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Did you know that? He's the Prince of Shalom. He's the Prince of Wholeness. And some of you who have come to know Christ come from really broken backgrounds hurting backgrounds and you have seen in your life that recreating of peace shalom he's going to continue it till it finishes he is the prince of peace who restores true peace starting in salvation and culminating in the eternal state I got to read this don't go there I'm just going to read it for you Revelation 22 you remember, it's, creation starts in the garden. We fall and we're wanderers through this earth. We are dispersed in Babylon uh, from the Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter 11. We all get into our own tribes and we start fighting each other. Christ comes down. He reconciles man to God and man to each other such that in heaven all the multitudes Every people from tribe, tongue, and nation starts to worship him. 
Do you understand this huge meta story that goes through all of Scripture? And in the end, in Revelation 22, they showed me a river of the water of life. By the way, back in another garden. Starts in a garden, it is redeemed in a garden. In the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of its street, this is what John says about heaven. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit. Verse 3, there will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And the bond servants will serve him. And they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of the light of the lamp. Nor the light of the sun. Because the Lord will illumine them. And they will reign forever and ever. Listen, listen to this. Listen, listen to this brothers and sisters. Those who may be hurting. He says in Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they will be his people and God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. So you see, brothers and sisters, this whole story of Jesus coming in the manger is not simply this apocopated, shortened, little story. But when he says he will come and save his people from their sins, he will definitely save them from their sins forever and ever and ever. And all of the punishment, all of the consequences that come with it, that is Jesus at creation. Jesus at the fall. Jesus at the fall. Genesis chapter 3. We'll go a little bit faster here in Genesis chapter 3. We know what happens. They could have eaten from every, any fruit of the garden except one. By the way, the Genesis story is crucial to understanding Christianity. If you don't understand Genesis, you don't understand sin. You don't understand why we need a savior. You can't just cut the, the book of Genesis out because you think it's fanciful or you think it's not real. Jesus calls it real. In fact, he quotes it as real. In Genesis chapter 3, we see broken relationships and the introduction to all this miscommunication and animosity and mistrust that we have with each other. Adam's mistrust of God himself. I know you to be hard. He goes, his mistrust of, of God himself. I hid from you. Doesn't want to, doesn't, he wants to be dishonest. Doesn't want to open up. This broken relationship with God had devastating effects on man's relationship with others. In Genesis 3 is the fall. In Genesis 4, oh, well, let me read it uh, to you. Because you have done this, he says to the serpent in verse 14 of Genesis 3. Cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat. Verse 15, of course. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. We'll talk about that a little bit later. 
To the woman, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be over your husband, will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. I take that as wanting, your, your, your desire is going to be wanting to rule the roost. And in verse um, 17, and he says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Boil. Both thorns and thistles, it will grow for you. He's saying, be, not, he's not saying work is cursed, but he's saying that now you will have to find a living by work. You will eat by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. Till you return to the ground, that means that we're going to die because you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So here we have this devastating effect on man's relationships with others. Immediately in Genesis chapter 4, brother kills brother. And he went out from the presence of the Lord. And so you see from 4 to verse chapter 6, Genesis 4 to chapter 6, this progression of sin. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says that they were always thinking continually evil. And we, brothers and sisters and visitors who are here, we are recipients of that curse. You say, not me. I didn't kill nobody, right? That's, that's the first line everyone says. I didn't kill nobody. Uh, do you have broken relationships which you are not innocent of? Do you have estranged relationships, hurting relationships, mistrust, Then you see this effects of the fall. Evil flourishes on the earth. God reveals this plan of judgment on the earth. And we know what happens in Genesis 6 and 7. If you've been at Sunday school. Go go with me to Genesis 6. This is the terror. Notice he says, Then the Lord saw in verse 5 of chapter 6 that the wickedness of man was great on earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. For anything to even be evil, it doesn't have to be murder. It just has to be godless. It just has to be something that just does not regard God at all. And so evil flourishes and God reveals his plan of judgment on the earth. And the event of the flood, we understand, foreshadows the final fate of mankind who do not receive the Messiah. But here's what's interesting. Let's go back to Genesis 3. So we get this picture between chapter 3 and and chapter 6. Chapter 3 is the fall. Chapter 4 is the, um, uh, the argument between Cain and Abel. Then you see the, the line of Adam and the line of Seth. Then the, and then you see the corruption of mankind in chapter 6. Chapter 7, the floodgates open. Judgment is on the earth. 
But look at uh, chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Between you and the woman, that would be the serpent who is Satan himself. Between your seed and her seed, there would be someone born of a woman. He shall bruise you on the head, which is a fatal blow. You shall bruise him on the heel, which is an injury, but not a fatal blow. Now, do you see what's happening, brothers and sisters? The curse has fallen. We already see a brother kill another brother. We already see evil in this world multiplying. And exactly when the moment when man needs redemption, God announces redemption. That's why you may think they're little ditties, but I'm singing. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. The moment you needed forgiveness, he already thought of that. I'm not like that. I'm like, you made me mad. I'm going to get you. What kind of love is this? Doesn't that make you want to sing a Christmas song again? Amen? Jesus at creation. Jesus at the fall. Jesus through the life of Noah. Hey, we made it to three. Let's see how far we get in Genesis. Jesus through the life of Noah. Remember in Genesis chapter 8, that famous line. In Genesis chapter 8, he says, Then God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle, that remembering he had favor on Noah, he did not forget. Through the flood, though the flood foreshadows the fate of mankind, it also displays the redemption through the event of Noah and his family being spared through the means of the ark. It was simply Noah by grace, believing in God and trusting in his promises. Now, through this life of Noah, we can say all kinds of pictures and illusions as the ark is like a picture of salvation for those who would trust in him. We understand that. But I want you to see the seed, the seed that was promised in Genesis chapter 3 and now is going to be defined through the life of Noah. Noah, excuse me, Genesis chapter 9 and verse 25. He says, so he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He said, he shall be to his brothers. He also said, blessed be, listen here, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth. And let all dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. We remember, we remember the three sons of Noah, if you recall. Shem, Ham, and what? Japheth, right? 
Shem, hey, Royce, very good. You're there. You're there with me. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But notice he says in verse 26, he also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. So you see this movement of a created order of fallenness, of a promised seed. And now we're starting to see this picture start to narrow down in Genesis chapter 9. That the blessing will come through Shem. Shem is the root for Semite. And so what God is saying is that there would be one, and you will recognize him, the one who is going to crush the serpent's head through the line of Shem, the Semites the Jewish people. Wow, there's this amazing, amazing unfolding and plan here. Jesus at creation, Jesus at the fall, Jesus through the life of Noah, Jesus through the covenant of Abraham, and now it starts to get even more specific. This is a covenant of promise in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Do you remember his pagan roots? This is Abraham's pagan roots. He was an idol worshiper. Didn't know God. In verse 31. Isn't that hope for, hope for us? Before I was a Christian, I wasn't following God. And his grace shone on me. This is what happened to Abraham. Same thing. <laughs> Notice in 1131, Terah took Abram, his son, Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldees, known idolaters. Chaldeans is Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. In order to enter the land of Canaan, and they went as far as Haran and settled there. And then God, by his grace, chooses Abram. You understand? So here in the line of Shem, there are Semitic peoples. And from the Semitic peoples, now he chooses Abram. And he says to Abram, before he became Abraham, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house. Wow, it's amazing. I want you to step out in faith and believe me. I want you to leave them because of the influence that they will have on you. And he says in verse 2, he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. So you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. curse and you and all the families of the earth will be blessed. Three things to understand <coughs> here is that there would be a land, a seed, and a blessing. A land in verse 1 to the land. Verse 2, the blessing. Uh, I mean, excuse me, the seed and then the blessing. I will make you a great nation. And then the blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And here in verse 3, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So here's what we're seeing as this picture of the Messiah is unfolding and building up. That here, it's not just it, that the Messiah is going to come through the Shemites, is going to come through now. 
Abraham's line, which is the Hebrews, right? But now he's saying all of the families of the earth will be blessed. That this Messiah that comes through Abraham's line is now going to be a source of blessing to not just the Hebrews, but to everyone who places faith in him. So now he's saying all the families are going to be blessed. All the families are going to have are, are going to be able to know him. It's a covenant of grace because we know it came to a man who from pagan roots. It's a covenant of faith because we know in Romans chapter 4, it was simply faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him. So we see Jesus at creation, Jesus at the fall, Jesus through the life of Noah, Jesus through the covenant of Abram. And then we skip to, towards the end, Genesis 28, chapters 28 to 49. This is Jesus through the life of Jacob. Jesus through the life of Jacob. Abraham had a son, Isaac. And the covenant, God reiterated the covenant to Isaac in Genesis chapter 26. And then... Isaac had a son, Jacob, and the covenant was reiterated to him in Genesis chapter 28 and 35. But now in this life of Jacob, you will see. Uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. And this is a vision that Jacob himself saw in Genesis chapter 28. Notice in verse 13. Uh, let me read. Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran and to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of the place. In verse 12, he had a dream. This is a, a prophetic dream, a revelatory dream. It's not the same kind of dreams that you and I would have. This is a different dream. This is a dream of revelation that God himself is actually talking to Jacob. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending. And notice he says, And behold, the Lord stood above it. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham. To get more specific, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Verse 14. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants, here it is, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So it is right for you to say was I promised a covenant? No, I wasn't promised a covenant. I'm not Abraham, nor am I Hebrew, right? What was given to me? I was given the blessing that says, as he's promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that all the descendants and all the families of the earth will be blessed. And what is that blessing? Salvation in Christ, sins forgiven, walking with Jesus, shalom. Finally. Now, let's go to the last chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 
can't believe we actually are. I think we're going to do it. Genesis chapter 49. Oh, excuse me. Second to the last chapter. Genesis 49 and verses 8 to 10. This is Jacob on his deathbed. And he speaks to one of his sons. Do you notice? First, um, Eve, I mean, first God tells in, the, in Genesis chapter 3 that there would be a seed. And then in Noah we see it would come through Shem. And then in Abraham we would say it would come through Abraham. Then through Isaac. Then through Jacob. And out of all the sons of Jacob, now it's coming through. The blessing is going to come through Judah. And Judah says this. He, uh, uh, Jacob speaks to Judah on his deathbed and he says, Your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. The father's son shall bow to you. Judah's alliance, well, from the prey, my son, you have gone up. Verse 10, and here's where I want to lean, okay? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of his people. Now watch that line, okay? The scepter is a symbol of rule. The ruler's staff is a symbol of rule. He is talking about someone who's going to come from the line of Judah. All through. This is all getting, you see how it's happening? It's starting in this wide wide field of candidates and it's getting narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower. And if you follow us uh, in the following Sundays, you'll see it's going to start to get even narrower and narrower and narrower. But here we know this person is going to come through the line of Judah. The scepter shall not depart the ruler's staff from between his feet. What he's saying is this, this person's kingdom who comes from the line of Judah will reign forever and ever. He says, until Shiloh comes, that's the one to whom it belongs. That's what Shiloh means. Okay. So, Angelo, I'm following you, but what's that got to do with Christmas? What's that got to do with Christmas? Go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and I'll read this text to you. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. is real Christmassy, ain't it? Real Christmassy, right? Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee. called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. By the way, David is from Judah. Quite interesting, right? And the virgin's name was Mary and coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept wondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, 
You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. Now listen up. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. All the way in Genesis, this Messiah was prophesied, pointed to, alluded to, foreshadowed of, typified of, for you and for me, whose kingdom will have no end. What kind of a king invites people who are not worthy and gives his life for them? You tell me what kind of a king. You tell me. You tell me what kind of a king that is. We have not seen the likes of who this Christ is. So let's, as we sit and we look and we ponder all of Scripture, let us marvel at this Christ this Christmas. So maybe you have something to sing about when you're around the Christmas tree. Which, I don't know where that came from, but you just sing songs of Christ, okay? I'm not anti-Christmas tree. We're going to go get one. We're going to get one. We're going to get one, okay? We're going to get one. But man, if you don't know this Christ, I want to invite you. There's a God who created you. He created you to know him. He created you to worship him. And our sin from the beginning has separated us from him. And the Bible says if you just believe in him, what he's done on the cross, what he's done in, this, in his life... You will be saved. This is not an old uh, new story. This is not something we made up, RBC made up. This has been since the beginning, I hope to tell you. This was God's plan of redemption all the way. Because we serve a king whose kingdom has no end. Amen. Father, we pray and we love you. Help us to worship as we sing, as we pray, and as we take the cup and take the bread. This king who gave his life. What kind of king is this? They mocked him as the king of Jews. Surely he saved others. Can he not save himself? Oh, they did not know what they were doing. We celebrate. We thank you. Help us to explode with song in Jesus' name. Amen.